0: St. Scholastica, the twin sister to St. Benedict and the two of them were very outstanding in their witnessing for the Gospel. St. Benedict entered the monastery while St. Scholastica entered the nunnery also and the two of them were very passionate with Jesus. They were able to discover their place. In the purpose the plan and the will of god and they aggressively took advantage of it to advance their course the course of their lives on earth here and the children were so filled with the holy spirit that they supported each other on account of the strength of the faith or the spirituality of benedict scholastica was highly inspired as she started also a monastery for the females in the order of saint benedict so we we'll have the males and Benedict, and we we'll have the females St. Benedict. You know, and there's a story that is um, well known about the two of them. When a time came that uh, Benedict visited Scholastica in her own, uh, you know, monastery, and they were, you know, sharing their experience of God, sharing the word of God, it was so inspirational and enriching. And Benedict was in a hurry to start thinking, of, I mean, he started uh, preparing to go back because the law of the monastery is that you do not sleep outside, you know. And he was preparing to go back to his own place. And Scholaska was all happy about it. And he said, Lord, I need more of this, you know, uh, moment of fellowship with my brother because I'm learning a lot from, from him. And there and then... She demanded that it will rain heavily to stop him from going. And the Lord honored her prayers. And it rained so much that better it did not go. And so they spent, you know, a good time again sharing the word of God. But one thing that is very outstanding in the life of Sir Scholastica is her ability to discern the values of the kingdom. You see she not just live the ordinary Christian life, but she came to a point where she was able to decipher the values that heaven cherishes. And she was able to you know, find that and then keyed in by yielding herself. not to live for herself, but to live for the one who has died and rose for her. I said it before that this was the ideology that governed the hearts and minds of the early Christians. They knew that The moment they became Christians, life was no longer theirs. They had no personal ambition. They had no personal uh, dreams to pursue things on their own. They now discover that it is not given to man to order his steps. It is God that orders your steps. If you have to live for his own pleasure, if you have to live for his purpose, if you have to live for the reason why he created you, he created you to give him pleasure. And must live within the ambience of what he has designed for you, which is that you live for him. And so they discovered that. And many of them, you see that day by day, in their dealings with people, in the activities of the day, they were always putting God first. Whatever we bridge their flesh with God, they will discard it because they knew that they, for them to ever stand against the living for God was something very, very precarious. But over the years, gradually it's like that sense, that divine uh, value that God the early church has been lost in our own time. Such that today, many live for themselves. And it's because of this living for self that promotes all kinds of vices. That promotes all kinds of callous living. Where people do all kinds of things, just because they want to get the the grandeur of the physical life because they live for themselves. On account of that, Jesus mentioned things that have to do with self here. You know, you see, it's not what you eat that defies you, but what comes out of you, especially when you're not living for yourself. If you're not living for yourself, definitely, if you're not living for God, definitely you live for yourself. And to live for yourself, we provoke all these things that Jesus mentioned here. And what touched me more In these whole things that Jesus said, it's not what you that defiles you. What caught my attention is that word defile. For me, I don't know about you. What defiles a man? I'm just trying to look at what does it mean to defile something, to mutilate something. You see, what these are the things that defiles a man. He started mentioning them. Evil thought can defile you, can pollute you can render you unacceptable. Evil thought. You have not even done it yet. It's just in here, and it's defiling you. So it means any time you are committing evil thought, you are defiling yourself, as far as God is concerned. Murder, theft. These are the things that renders you inoperative, devalues you, makes you to be a castaway object. It makes you to be an unoperative a holy thing before God. And as I reflected deep, when one is defied, what's the implication? The implication is that God withdraws his spirit from you. And God's spirit is a very substance that sustains you. Your life is predicated on the spirit of God. You saw in the first reading, he said, God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of the man. And the man became a living soul. And that spirit, when you defile it, something happens to you. You become, you become an nothing entirely. So I was touched by that. Because these are the things that we find in our society as if it's a normal life. And in the midst of that, you can see that we have a rendezvous of defied human beings who are voicing out all the defilement. You know, and all that. And so the Spirit of God will not be able to habitate in our midst. So for one to work with God, it means you must put up a fight to resist this defilement, no matter what happens. we have got to make a choice and refuse to be defiled, even to the thought level. When evil thought comes, fight it. When they crystallize into your mind, fight it. When it comes to your body to overwhelm you, fight it. Paul says, have you fought sin to the point of shedding blood? Yes. So it means that you should be ready to fight to the point of what? Shedding blood. Refuse to be defied. Refuse to be defied. Because when you ever remain in the templates that God has ordained for you. Walking in the steps he has given to you. Your value, your currency is high. But when you defile yourself, you reduce your quality. You reduce your value. And then you become like a chaff. Remember? Jesus told Peter, I pray for you. Because the devil is what? Walking to, you know, we, we swift you like a, a chaff from the wheat. You see, he was trying to devalue Peter. He we'll was to defile Peter, but Jesus intervened. If not, the position of Peter as a head, that will be a blessing to his brothers who have been messed up in the Could time. But so it is possible that many times in my life where I have been defiled, my defilement constituted a, a curse in the life of others. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. The substance of my soul, if it's defiled, it will affect my world, my aeon. Everybody connected to me will also get defiled. But if I'm consecrated, just like Jesus said, Father, I consecrate myself, that they too may be consecrated. His consecration is our consecration. You see the point? So these are some of the things that we need to understand every day, that every action I put up with, good action or bad action, it doesn't end with me. It ends with as many who are connected to me. The Bible says the posterity of the righteous shall be delivered. But if the righteous is defied, his posterity too shall be what? Defied. Whatever comes out of you does not only end with you, it affects others. It affects those who are closely related to you. So your life is not only for yourself, your life is for others. And so we pray at this Mass that through the intercession of St. Scholastica, who discovered the true values of the kingdom and hold on to them and allow them to govern our life day by day, manifesting the truth of the kingdom. May God bless us in the house through Christ our Lord.